Let's continue on in our worship as we turn to the Word of God today. Grab your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 15, will you? Mark chapter 15. Um, if you're uh, uh, new or whatever, I just w- want to encourage you, go to our Facebook page or, and or just go to my, my blog, scottmillerblog.com that I update once a year. And um, would you get the notes so you can follow along? I know there's going to be some that are going to be up, uh, up across the screen, but I'd love to, for you to have those notes. And let me just remind you of what you already know. Next week is Easter. Hello. And um, it's going to be a wonderful uh, service. We're, gonna, we're going to um, uh, uh, already have some, some plans for some special things to happen in our Easter service. Yes, I wish we could be together. Yes, I wish we could be worshiping together. Um, but we're going to do some things to try to bring us together a little more next week. And specifically, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to take communion. I've never led communion via video and, uh, and like this, so it's going to be an experience for us all. But I want to encourage you this week, uh, if, you can, if you're out and about, grab some juice, grape juice or whatever. Grab some crackers or something. You probably have those at your home. And, and if, you're, if, I mean, if you're hunkering down like many of us are and you'd like to, we're going to have some instructions that are going to go out this week uh, of how you can make your own bread. Uh, you say, do we have to do this? No, you don't have to do this. But if you wanted to, how could you make your own bread, uh, bread that would be uh, more like what they would have used back in Jesus' time? And it might be a really cool way to engage your kids into the communion elements next Sunday. Make sure when, when you show up next Sunday for Easter uh, in your living room or wherever you might be, that you have those emblems available to be good. One more thing. This is the last week for our Journey to the Cross uh, devotional. I hope you've enjoyed those. I know I've got a lot out of it. I hope you continue to get a lot out of it. Let's continue that through this week. And that really brings us to our topic that we're going to talk about. We've been in this Journey to the Cross series over the past uh, few weeks. And now is one of our final messages. Of course, we have the Easter message, which is kind of the King Kong message next week. But today, we want to talk about death. Let's talk about death. Woohoo! Aren't you glad you tuned in today to hear about death? Well, it's not just any death that we want to talk about today. We want to talk about the death of our Savior. So, go with me. Ready? I want you to enter the world of 2,000 years ago. Put yourself in the narrative of the Gospels of those last few hours of the life of Jesus. Because you see, even before Jesus reached Calvary, Golgotha, before he was crucified, the Bible records that there were things that happened even before then. He was beaten by a mob of men. Jesus was blindfolded, he was beaten, he was blasphemed all night, and the Bible simply says they took him away and had him scourged. Scourging was a horrible, horrible thing. You've heard me describe this before, I'm not going to go into detail uh, so much as, as maybe I could, but it, it's a whip. A cat of nine tells it's, it's, it's a leather whip. It's, uh, many times there's pieces of metal or shards of rock or glass or whatever built into that thing, and, and they would whip that person over and over and over again, and those things would dig into their back. They'd probably strip naked or near naked from the neck all the way down here to the rear end, and that they would whip that person over and over, tearing, shredding. In fact, it was so severe that often people would die during that before they'd even get crucified. Jesus didn't. Why didn't he? Well, I'm just toss this out to you. Um, it looks like he was a carpenter. He was a worker. And he was only 30 years old. And so he, he was pretty healthy. He was pretty strong. And physically, he was walking a lot. We know that. 
And so Jesus was able to, to last, but just because he was able to last, don't make that make you think that it was any less of a beating than anyone else would have gotten. And so they whipped this man across the back, the leather straps, and, and he would take that, inflicting so much pain and as much as pain as possible. And it's what Isaiah prophesied in 52.14. Look, look in your notes at this. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond any human likeness. What that means is that after Jesus, not when he got on the cross, but after Jesus was beaten, it's very likely that if his mother even would have seen his face, she wouldn't have been able to understand that it was him. His body, the crown of thorns, the beating and the, across the mouth, all the, the back, the scourging, everything, he would have been so disfigured from that. And then that wasn't the end of it. Because Jesus was bleeding profusely, his, his body's laboring to survive. Remember, he's been up all night, and his body physically is in shock. And, they, and they're just mocking him as they give him a, a Roman crossbar. It's more, most likely that it wasn't the whole cross that he carried, but just that crossbar. And that crossbar was somewhere, we're guessing, between 80 and 100 pounds. It had been used before. I mean, just imagine if you were there and you're watching Jesus beaten, uh, fatigued, and he's carrying this crossbar. They're making him carry his own crossbar down the Via Dolorosa, carrying it to go be crucified. Can you imagine what that was like? As Jesus was carrying it, he's exhausted, he was beaten, he was near to death. And that's where we find ourselves in the book of Mark chapter 15. Look with me in your Bibles, will you? Mark chapter 15, verse 21. There was a certain man from Cyrene. Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Think about this. Why is this important? Well, we know Cyrene was, uh, uh, excuse me, Simon of Cyrene was from modern-day eastern Libya. We understand that. He was Jewish, probably came to town to celebrate the Passover. But when you're reading scriptures like this, I, I want you to understand these are real people who lived in real times. The, the Bible's not just a bunch of made-up stories that someone just penned. There's no way that you could get this many authors of so many different books of the Bible to all mesh together and synchronize together other than an inspired uh, person pouring into them to write the scriptures and experience this together. Mark here, this gospel is recording history. This is what really happened. And we see there's Simon of Cyrene, and this is a witness testimony. Verse 22, look at it. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Jesus keeps walking on his, on his way to crucifixion, even though uh, someone else might be carrying that crossbar. And it's, it's the place, place of the skull, just an FYI. Some people think it's called that because it geographically looks like a skull. Someday, let's all go there and let's see it. But they think that that, that kind of looks like a skull. Other people say um, uh, <clears throat> uh, it, it, was, it was called a skull because that's where they often crucified people and people would die, whatever. Eh. Some would say this, and I, thought, I think this is interesting. We don't know. But 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 54 says that David, do you remember David fought Goliath? And it chopped his head off. And that verse, 1 Samuel 17, 54, says that David took Goliath's head back to where? Jerusalem. And many believe 
that the reason why this is called the, the skull, the hill of the skull, the area of the skull, place of the skull, is because that's where they buried Goliath's skull. We don't know. All we know is this is where it was at. And then look at verse 23. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Wine mixed with myrrh would be a sedative. This would be something that they're getting ready to crucify, drive the nails into his hands, into his feet. They're getting ready. And so this isn't, this isn't a sign of we want to help this guy. No, this is all about getting the job done. It's about efficiency. And so if they can do anything to help this guy just kind of calm down because he's going to go spastic. He's going to go crazy physically when we try to nail him, the pain, whatever, he's just going to go nuts. So they would give the people that are going to be crucified, they would give him something like this to try to give them a sedative. Did Jesus take it? No, he didn't take it. He wanted nothing to do with it. He, he decided that he would take the full brunt of the punishment for our sins. Look at verse 24. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. Think about the irony of this. The carpenter who had driven many nails himself, had built many things himself, driven many nails into wood, is now being nailed to the cross. And I'm sure as with, with every nail and every, uh, his body violently shaking and responding to the pain of that. And then verse 25. It was the third hour when they, when they crucified him. Understand this. The third hour would have been 9 a.m. Let's keep reading. The written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Verse 29, get this. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross. Save yourself. These were, uh, catch this, this is why this is important. They were passers-by. This isn't way out in the country. Where they would crucify people in Jerusalem, uh, uh, in, in Golgotha, this area, it wasn't somewhere, okay, go about five miles out there, turn left at the walnut tree. When you get to the pond, you're almost, no. Thousands of people had come to Jerusalem for Passover. And this was just outside of town that they were crucifying Jesus. Some people knew what was going on. Some people obviously didn't. And as they're walking by, they're thinking, I don't know what that guy did, but boy, he must deserve it. And then, and then some that knew who he was were mocking him, and they were uh, uh, hurling insults at him. And all the while, he's hanging there naked, bearing our sins. Let's dive into this. What happened during the death of Jesus? Look in your notes. The first thing that happened was darkness. Darkness. Now listen, I'm going to switch to the New Living Translation. Uh, I usually preach that the NIV. Long story short, the New Living Translation, I think, kind of helps us get a better grasp um, of some of the details of what's going on. So look on the screen. You can still follow in your Bibles, or you can look on the screen for the New Living Translation. But look at verse 30, 33. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. From noon to 3 o'clock. He was crucified at 9, and then at noon, it went dark. So picture this. Remember, you're there. Put yourself in that situation. They get him on the cross. The next few hours he spends suspended between heaven and hell. And he's suffering crucifixion, which really is death by suffocation. Let me just remind you. I think you already know this. I've preached this, taught this before. But when, when they would kill someone on the cross, the problem wasn't so much the pain and the agony and the loss of blood as much as it was you couldn't breathe. Because what you'd have to do is you'd have to endure the pain of your feet being nailed and your hands pulling yourself up 
When you're hanging down like this, you can't breathe. So you push yourself up. And so most of the time, people would die on a cross of asphyxiation, of, of suffocation. And that's where Jesus was out. He was enduring excruciating pain. The word even excruciating comes from the word ex, out, uh, um, crux, cross, excruciating pain. We know from other gospels that this is a time where he looked out there and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is also where he had a conversation with, with the, other, uh, uh, the other people that were, were being crucified. And one of them, he says, uh, the, 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 cr- the criminal says, remember me. And, and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And we have that. John chapter 19 says Mary's there. And, and so Jesus asks John now to take care of his, his mom. And then we look at verse 33. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Instantly dark. It's supernatural darkness. And let's contrast this real quick with what was Jesus. He wasn't darkness. John chapter 1 verse 9 says, true light that gives light to every man. That's who Jesus was. Luke 2.32, a light for the Gentiles is what it says. John 8.12, I am the light of the world. This is who Jesus was. When he was transfigured, do you remember? There was a brilliant light, and when he comes back on on the clouds, it's going to be clouds of glory, and with great light when Jesus returns to take us home to be with him. And now on the cross, there's darkness. And there is evidence that it wasn't just darkness in Jerusalem. It was the whole world. It was the whole area. It it was everywhere on the continent of the world. Um, Obviously, we, we don't know where everyone was across, but we do have some extra biblical sources such as, uh, I'm, I'm probably not going to pronounce this right, but Phlegon, the Roman historian from the first centuries, mentions this darkness in his works, Olympiads. Completely different situation from a different angle, but he mentions, yeah, it went dark. Wasn't that something? Tertullian wrote in AD 197 that the evidence for this darkness was still available in the archives of the Roman history. The evidence was there. The sun failed, literally. It wasn't a dust storm. I believe it wasn't even a solar eclipse. It was like God turned the sun off. Can you imagine if today or tomorrow at noon for the next few hours, without explanation, it was just dark. And, but this is what I want you to get. We're talking about darkness, but why darkness? It's because darkness is always a sign of God's judgment in the Bible. Remember the Exodus, the ten plagues? What was one of the plagues? Darkness. Uh, remember that when the Israelites were fleeing the Egyptians and the glory of God comes down between the Egyptians and the Israelites, the Egyptians, darkness. Israelites, light. Remember, uh, um, uh, uh, the, uh, as you read down through the prophets, the darkness is always a, a, a divine judgment. And so as we see darkness set in here, what do we see? Well, we, we see that there's judgment coming because of sin. Now let's go to the second thing we see here, is we see separation. Now this is theologically hard to understand, but look at verse uh, 34, Mark 15. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me, forsaken me? This is at three o'clock. Nine o'clock, he's crucified. At noon, it goes dark for three hours. At 3 o'clock, he's crying out. Note something here. I, I never, I've preached this, studied this. I've never caught this before until this week when I heard someone else say this. Listen, listen, listen. 
What did he call? When, when, when you see Jesus in the Gospels, when you see him praying to the Father, talking to the Father, what's the verbiage he uses? Father. In this passage, in this verse, what does he say? God. My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? There's a lacking of intimacy. There's a different tone. There's, there's not this, Daddy, hello, I want to talk to you here. It's more formal. It's more, why is that? Because there's a separation that's happening. Because all the sin of the world, all the sin of mankind is coming upon Jesus at this moment. I mean, think about the, the excruciating pain, but think about the inside internal turmoil as, as the wrath of God is being poured out on him. He says, God, where did you go? Where are you? Have you ever asked God that? For some of us, it's been daily this past week. For some of you, like, God, where are you? I feel like you've forsaken me. What, what's going on? We lament. It's healthy. Keep doing it. But let's turn the corner on that. This moment, the wrath of God is being poured out. And some people start to mock him. Again, verse 35. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. No, he's not. They knew he wasn't. They're just mocking him. They're, they're pushing him. Look, look at verse 36. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Now, this is an interesting scripture, and I don't, I'll go into a little bit of detail. Um, but John records, John's gospel says that Jesus said, I am thirsty. Now, this wasn't the mix of wine and myrrh given as a sedative earlier. This was more vinegar. And, um, and the way that they decided to do this is they, they put, put a sponge filled with sour wine vinegar on a stick. And why was that there? Long story short, let me just tell you a little bit about the bathroom habits of uh, Romans. In their public bathrooms at this time, um, how fitting that we would talk about this in the times of toilet paper shortages in our own lives. But uh, after they were taking care of business, they were done, they would take a long stick, at least about 10 inches long, and they'd have a sponge on there, typically a sponge that they got out of the water, whatever, and like a natural sponge, and they'd wipe things down, if you know what I mean. In most public bathrooms in that time, they had some kind of running water, they'd rinse it off. And the next person who came to take care of themselves in that way would use the exact same sponge. It hopefully it was washed off by then, and <clears throat> that's how they do it. What if you're a Roman soldier, and you're traveling all around? You would take your stick, your sponge with you, and often you'd put it in a little ceramic thing filled with this vinegar substance to obviously try to disinfect and keep things okay. So what I'm saying is this, is that our Lord and Savior died with the taste of vinegar and excrement in his, on his lips. You talk about humility. You talk about the, the, the lowest. Would you even treat your enemies that way? Yeah, they did. That's what Jesus went through for us. So God the Father had to distance himself from Jesus. The separation. Why? We can find out as we go all the way back to Psalm chapter 22, verse 1, which is, which is kind of prophesying what's getting ready to happen here. 
Jesus, uh, excuse me, Psalm 22, verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you don't, you don't answer, but at night and, I, and, and I'm not silent, yet you are throned as the Holy One. Right there's the key. The psalmist was prophesying what Jesus was going to say uh, years, many years later. But I know we can know why God wasn't around because God's a holy God. Look at that last part. You are enthroned as the Holy One. And without holiness, it's impossible to see God. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we are made holy. Why? Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He died for us so we could have access to God. We, we're going to talk about that in a second. But that's how we're made holy, right? Well, now Jesus was taking on the sin of the world. And God's like, i got to back off. I've got to separate. The weight of our sin was upon him. He took it upon himself. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. God made him who had no sin to be sin. That's what happened to Jesus. And in that moment, he treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin of every person that ever believed. Listen to me. That means that God went all, all the way back to Adam and Eve, put that sin on Jesus. Went all the way back to the lies of Abraham and put that sin on Jesus. Went all the way back to David and his infidelity, his murder, and he put that on Jesus. He went all the way to the New Testament and all those believers and put that sin on Jesus. He went all the way to 2020. And he put your sin, he put my sin any future sin beyond that. He took all of that. God took all of that. <clears throat> he put it on Jesus. And Jesus willingly bore that for us. And the wrath of God is being poured out on Jesus as he's being crucified. But notice that third word that's in your notes. There's strength. What do we see happening here? We see strength. What? Yeah. Mark 15, 37. Look. And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and he breathed his last. Reminder, death on a cross would come about from asphyxiation. They couldn't breathe. But while hanging on a cross for six hours and having the weight of our sin, Jesus declares, in fact, John chapter 19, verse 30, look in your notes, says, It is finished. Luke 23, 46 says, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit now, can I just stop for a second? Because I know some of you, you're new to church, you're new to Christianity, you're like, wait a minute. Well, if he said those things, why didn't Mark say those things in his gospel? Well, let me just remind you. Any situation you might, you might uh, be living in, just think about this. Everyone's got a different perspective and a different view. So I was just thinking about this this morning as I was going over my notes. I was like, if the President of the United States was standing right here in front of you giving a speech, some of you, the whole time, you'd be looking at his hair. Be like, is that real? How, if that is real, then why does he do that with his hair? And I mean, the whole speech, you could barely get around whether to, that's, because that's just kind of where you're at. Others of you, you're taking in every bit of his speech. You're just like, wow, he said that. Okay, what's he mean there? And, and days later even, you could, you could say, what, do you remember what the president said? He'd said this, this, and this, and this, and this. And then others of you, you're watching his demeanor. And the thing that you're really taking from that speech is what? You're saying, man, he seemed really excited. He, see, he seemed really depressed. He seemed really, uh, and, and the thing you're going to take away from that experience, if you had to write about it, is 
And as the president spoke, he spoke with great boldness, or with great whatever, fill in the blanks, whatever. This is all three of you, three different people looking at the same thing, same, hearing the same speaker, but taking three different things from it. And that's why it's so great that we don't just have one account of these experiences. But we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and, and the Gospels that they wrote, even with the help of others, to help us understand all together, this is what this person saw. This is what this person saw. John records, it is finished, is what Jesus said. Oh, and Luke said, oh, but don't, don't forget. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But this is what I want you to get. Okay, come back to the, to the text. Get this. Everyone, listen, listen. Kids, I'm watching you. Okay, stay with me here. Here it is. He didn't mumble those things. He didn't whisper those things. He didn't gasp those things. He cried them out. That tells us that obviously there was a strength there. What's the importance of this? Follow me. People sometimes could last three to five days even being crucified. Later on in Mark's record, um, when they go to Pilate, what is Pilate's response? Do you remember? He's shocked. Wait, wait, wait. You put Jesus on the cross at 9 o'clock. And by 3 o'clock, he was dead? This is atypical. This isn't typical. You don't die just in six hours. Listen to me. Jesus didn't just die of exhaustion. He didn't just fade away. He controlled his death right down to the moment. Remember, you die of asphyxiation. The guy who's dying of asphyxiation, he has the strength to declare these truths. In John chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus said it himself uh, some time before he died, of course. I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. I have authority to die. I have authority to live. If he gave his life, he did it willingly and lovingly because he loved you and he loved me. Listen, at any minute, he could have called all the, the throng of heaven, all the angels, all the, the support team. He could have called them in and said, take these people out. I'm getting down off this cross right now. At any moment he could have, but he chose not to. And I'm telling you, that is strength. John 15, 13, he's proving it. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. So we've seen some darkness set in, separation and strength. But then that leads to the last and final thing, and that's access. The darkness is gone now. Jesus' body is slumped on the cross. He's now dead. Mark chapter 15, verse 38. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Interesting, extra-biblical source. Josephus, first-century historian, says this, uh, this, uh, this curtain was 82 and a half feet tall, 24 feet wide, and the thickness of a man's hand. He said that it took 100 priests to move this curtain. It's the curtain that separates the holy place in the temple from the most holy place in the temple. I don't want to get, get lost in this, but understand, again, this was the, the sacrificial system. There was the temple. Is this... Uh, 
nice-sized place uh, where the priests would come and you would bring your sacrifice for your sins, all right? And there was the holy place where they would go in uh, several times a day even. They'd go in and they, they'd take care of, of different, sac- different things. They'd bring the coals and, uh, okay, they would, they would do priestly things in there. And then there was the most holy place and you'd only go in there one time a year and, and it was uh, the high priest that would come in on Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement. And then after the offering sacrifices for his sins and the sins of the people were done, he'd get in and out as quickly as possible. There's the holy place where the, all the priests would come, but there's the most holy place where only once in a while. The curtain was between the holy place and the most holy place. And what happened when Jesus died is that thing was torn from top to bottom, a miracle in itself. But God was separated from the holy place to the, to the most holy place. There was a separation. No one could go in but the high priest. But when Jesus died and that veil was torn, uh, not from the bottom to the top like we would, but from the top to the bottom. We see Hebrews help us understand this. The book of Hebrews says in chapter 4 verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Listen, Jesus is our high priest who went into the most holy place, tore the veil, made a way for us no longer to have a veil between us and God. No longer do we have to go through an earthly priest. No longer do we have to go through that but we can go directly into the holy of holies that's why we see verse 16 i've been meditating on this verse thinking on this verse all week let us then approach the throne of grace let's go to god the most holy place with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need mercy is not giving you and i what we deserve mercy is giving us unmerited favor the mercy of god being poured out on us On the cross, the veil is torn, and God provided access to himself. You no longer have to present a sacrifice of anything. Just give yourself to him. So that's my my call to you today. As we study the life of Jesus and his death, we see the darkness. We see the separation. We see the strength. And we see that that gave us access to God. Mark chapter 15, verse 39 says, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. This centurion was a battler. This centurion was kind of a man's man, right? I'm sure he had killed many people, watched many people die. And what was his response? He says, Wow. Truly, this man was who he said he was. He was the Son of God. So my call to action to you this week is how will you understand? What, 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 what will you put into, um, into process today in your life because of this message and what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross? Believers, listen to me. Followers of Christ, listen to me. Like we talked about last week, sin separates you from God, but the gift of salvation brings you to God. And so believers, listen to me, you have access to God. Because you've given your life to Christ, because you've turned your life over to Christ, you have access to God. You get that. So anytime you start to feel that you're far from God, let me just remind you, what we've learned today is that because of the darkness, because of the separation, because of the strength of our Lord 
because of all of that, we have access to, to God. We can go directly into the throne. We can go directly to him with our needs, laments, our prayers, whatever, and trust that he hears and he answers. So just be encouraged today. As you go throughout your week, be encouraged. And for those of you who have yet to give your life to Christ, those of you who have yet to turn your life over to Christ, can I just encourage you? Would you bring him your life today? Would you give him your life today? If you have yet to surrender your life to Christ, you're, you're, you're living for self, can I just remind you what we talked about last week? Um, you're born sinful, and so am I. We're all born sinful. And there's only one way to deal with that sin. And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he paid for us. There's only one way you can be made good. And that's through Jesus Christ and receiving uh, what he did for us on the cross. So would you respond today by yielding your life to Christ? Let me pray for you. So Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for sending your one and only son, Jesus Christ, on earth to die. And God, I just ask you right now, would you come and just begin to move in the hearts of every person that's watching this? I pray for every believer in Christ, every person who's put their faith in Christ already. I pray you'd encourage them. I pray you'd strengthen them and help them to grasp and understand how everything you did through your death, Jesus, opens the door for me to have a way to get to God. And I pray that you'd stir us up over the next few days, the next few weeks to trust you and believe in you and to pray and seek you like we've never sought you before. And God, that you would just just help us. Your word says if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. And so God, I pray that that would happen. Lord, I pray for the person who's here today uh, listening to this video, sitting there all alone, maybe with their family, but they've never put their faith in you. They've never understood that thing about the veil coming down. Maybe they've never even heard that portion of Scripture. But how Jesus makes a way for us to get to God. The only way we can get to God is through Jesus Christ and receiving Him and admitting that, that we're sinners, that we believe in Him, that God raised Him from the dead, confessing our sins. God, I, I just pray today for anyone who's watching, would you just give them the gumption, if you will, today to turn their life over to you, even right now as we're praying. God, fill them with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you've committed your life to Christ for the first time this week, can I encourage you? Let us know about that. Again, kind of the email we're using through this is pathway, excuse me, prayer at pathwayag.com. Prayer at pathwayag.com. We would love to hear what God's doing in your life. Beyond that, um, let's take some time to really meditate this week on the death of Jesus and what that means for us today. Church, don't forget to be doing your devotional this week. Let the, uh, the Holy Spirit continue just to develop this thought, this, this idea through this week so that we can have a greater understanding of what Christ did for us. You know, today's message was more of a Good Friday service than it was, um, you know, a Palm Sunday service. Uh, but it really felt like this is where we needed to go today. Let's remember the death of Jesus and what that means for us. Next week, though, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. And it's going to be an awesome day. I remind you, have the elements for communion ready so that we can take those together next Sunday. It's going to be a great Sunday. 
I hope you don't miss it. All right? Love you, church. Have a great rest of your day, great rest of your week. We're praying for you.